as a way of direction for our guests, I just wanted to make a reminder about the gold insert that you'll find in your service folder and that you are very welcome to use that as a follow along with the, the message as we study God's word together. Um, so today is the last day of this series that we started in June. And I think it's really important, like we've done every week, to just be reminded about why the commandments are important and why they're not important. Um, we learned way back on week one that we did not get the commandments to earn God's love. And I've said often that it's not a 10-point semester exam. You know, do your best, and then on Judgment Day, take a look at what grade was posted. Pass or fail. But instead, there was a great amount of love that God had in giving us the commandments. He loved us first, and then he gave us the commandments to tell us what's the best way to be a husband, a wife, a father, a child, a mother, an employer, an employee. In the very same time, another blessing that comes out of the commandments, and this will happen again today, is that every time we look at one, I'm reminded, I need Jesus. I'm reminded, I need forgiveness. And that's a good thing. Because if we didn't know we needed Jesus, we'd be lost for sure. So in regards to the Eighth Commandment, um, let me ask, what, what feelings come to mind when I say the name Joe Paterno? Um, a year ago at this time, uh, Joe Paterno was the elderly but highly respected coach of the Penn State football team. He was known as being um, the coach there since 1966, almost 50 years. He was the all-time winningest coach in uh, NCAA history and was a man who um, was treated with godlike status across Pennsylvania and the football world. There were streets named after him, and buildings named after him, and trophies named after him, and children named after him. And he even had a monument built to his honor right next to the big football stadium that Penn State uses. He was, and the name Paterno was kind of the, the represented the best, or what Penn State was all about. Well, you know where I'm going with this. But less than a year later, Joe Paterno's reputation is totally different. He's lost all of that respect, and he's no longer here on this earth anymore. But the name Paterno has totally changed, and, and trophies have been renamed, and buildings have been renamed, and, and all, all of these things. In fact, even the, the monument has been taken down with a heavy machinery and a forklift, and now even the wall is gone. And no one is thinking, and never will, of the name Paterno in the very same way ever again. Now, maybe you don't think about this often, but one of the greatest gifts or possessions that you can have is that of a good name. One of the best possessions is a good reputation. That when people hear your name, they're not like, oh, I wouldn't want to be around that guy. 
or they hear your name and, and they're thinking something bad, that a person hears your name and they think good thoughts. It's a beautiful gift. And we don't need to think of Joe Paterno as the first person who's brought us to terms with that because 3,000 years ago, Solomon wrote the words that we read earlier. We'll read them again. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So this idea of reputation and the importance of a good name, believe it or not, has everything to do with the Eighth Commandment. And what you and I, what sort of responsibility we have with our words when it comes to other people's reputation. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, if someone wants to ruin their reputation, they can do it for themselves. Uh, as an example, um, the only person Joe Paterno has to blame for people thinking badly of his name is himself. In the same way, um, people in Minnesota think of Randy Moss as a uh, spoiled, temperamental athlete because he's a spoiled, temperamental athlete, right? <laughs> it's no one's fault but his own. And yet even within that, there is still responsibility that God has given to us when it comes to people's reputation, and especially connected to our words. Did you know your words are really powerful? Let me give you an example of this from my life. Um, when I was in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, I was on a traveling basketball team and spent a lot of time with the coach um, as my parents weren't able to get to a lot of the weekend tournaments. So he really got to know me quite well. And I remember still, after one tournament, uh, after it was over on the way home, he, he said to me, he said, Ben, you have a lot of gifts. And he wasn't talking about basketball necessarily, although I had a, a lot of gifts there too. Um, <laughs> my NBA career went really well. Um, you have a lot of gifts, and he was said, you know, whatever you put your mind to, I know that, that you're going to be able to accomplish. And then he said something that still bothers me and, and in some ways has motivated me my entire life. He said, knowing that my dad was a pastor, he said, you're not thinking about being a pastor, are you? Because I, I think you could do a lot more with your life than that. A five-minute conversation over 20 years ago, and it's like I just heard that because words are powerful. The things people say, positively or negatively or both, they stick with you. And if you took a moment to think about things that people said in your past, a friend, a spouse, a pastor, a teacher someone, usually it's someone who's close to you, either positively or negatively. For some of you, you've never been able to forget it. For some of you, you will never be able to forget. And it's, in some ways, changed you or motivated you, positively or negatively. Now, God realized, too, just how powerful words are. And so James wrote about this in his letter. We're going to take a look at chapter 3. I'm going to warn you that as we go through the words to start, <laughs> they're going to sort of make us kind of uneasy. 
Because James is going to speak the truth, but he's going to speak it from a very negative perspective about the danger of our mouths, okay? This is true for every single one of us. So let's dig in, and and I'll explain it as we go. Verse 2. James writes, We all stumble spiritually in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what they say in their words, well then, that person is a perfect person, a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. James starts by saying, it's really hard to keep your mouth in check. It's really hard to say the right thing all the time. And if there is ever a person who could do it, that person would have to be perfect in all of his life because that's how hard it is. Then he uses an example or makes a comparison. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. So you got a small little metal bit that you put in a a horse's mouth, and that small little one-pound piece of metal can turn the entire thousand-pound horse in the direction you want it to go. Small object, big impact. He uses another example, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Again, big ship, even wind sometimes doesn't move it around, but you got this small little part, this little rudder in the back, and it can make this huge ship go in the direction the pilot wants. Small bit, huge impact. Small rudder, big impact. And then he says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. The small little opening in your head called the mouth, small part of the body, but it can have a huge impact, positively or negatively on the people around you. Things people say that you remember 20 years ago that someone said, or more, small part big impact. And I warned you, I said that James was kind of going to go negative with this, and he does. It's truth, but it's negative. He says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Um, In 2007, there was a a fire in California called the buckweed, not buckwheat for you um, little rascals fans, but uh, buckweed Fire and it destroyed 38,000 acres, 60 square miles. A week or two after it was put out, a 10 year old boy came forward with his parents and said that he had accidentally started it with one little small match. Small part, big fire. Listen to verse 6. The tongue also is a fire. A world, it could be, of evil among the parts of the body. It can corrupt the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself the mouth set on fire by hell. <laughs> Whew. That sounds kind of scary, actually, that your mouth is set on fire by hell. James must have been in a bad mood that day. No, um, it's true. But what does it mean, Okay. Here's what it means in in real terms. It means that when we were born, 
we received our mouths and the pilot light was lit. That because we receive the sinfulness of our parents and that we are conceived and born sinful with a sinful nature, that without Jesus in our lives, the natural inclination, and we still battle against this even as Christians, the natural inclination of our mouths and our words are not naturally to build up, to encourage, to strengthen, but the pilot light is lit. And if we aren't careful, the natural use of our tongues is to tear down, to hurt, to start fires. James is warning us. The pilot light of our mouths, by nature, are lit. And then verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with that same tongue we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Has this ever happened to you? Has this ever happened to you on Sunday, on the way home from church? We just got done singing, you know, what a savior or what a friend we have in Jesus. And on the way home, that same mouth is used to lip off to your parents or saying something very mean to your spouse. And maybe it's not that a ride home, but, you know, just wait until tomorrow. Here's what James says. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers. This should not be. Wow. I know until studying this a week and a half ago, I hadn't thought for a while about just how powerful our words can be. In essence, guess what? Every single one of us is walking around with this loaded weapon that we can use anytime we want to. Have you ever said something that as soon as you said it or a minute later, you're like, oh, I wish I could put that toothpaste back in the tube. I wish I just didn't say that. What I'm looking forward to someday is an email button that you press it, and not just a minute later, but like two days later, it'll like, you know, not only get rid of the email that you sent to a person, but also like eliminate its memory from the person's brain, you know? I'm waiting for that. Or how about, and, and guys I think more so are, are culpable with this, how about wanting to make a joke, but you inadvertently hurt someone's feelings? And whether you tried to or not, we still wish we could just not have said that to our mother-in-law? No. <laughs> or how about things you know are going to hurt your spouse? And in a way, that's kind of why you said it. Or something that you know will bother your parents, but in your heart, that's kind of why you said it. I mean, I know that my mouth, the pilot light, is lit. If I'm not careful, it can get in the way. While we don't like to hear about it, and while it's a little bit depressing, it's true, isn't it? And so, with this understanding of the power of our words, that brings us back to the Eighth Commandment. Um, so often people think that the Eighth Commandment is just about one thing. Uh, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not commit false testimony against your neighbor, and that the essence of the commandment, the central theme is don't lie about people. 
And that's really part of the Eighth Commandment, but it's not the essence. It's not the central part of it. The essence of the Eighth Commandment is, uh, is something a little bit different that I think we can get a good idea of by looking at Luther's explanation. He writes, We should fear and love God that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, or give him a bad name, but defend him, speak well of him, and take his or her words and actions in the kindest possible way. And so the central theme is do not lie. The central theme goes back to the Joe Paterno example, is to take a person's reputation and to do all that you can to guard it and to keep it and to not tear it down. And yes, lying about someone, clearly a breaking of the Eighth Commandment, but I don't think that's the one we're most guilty of. Most of us feel pretty guilty and stop ourselves before we would actually blatantly lie about someone. But there's something else in this explanation that I think we're far more guilty of. It's that whole realm of gossip, huh? Of saying things that, that didn't need to be said. Um, in fact, there are entire industries, people making millions of dollars based on gossip. And so we begin living in this world to think that it's not a big deal, right? You got the National Enquirer, you got TMZ, you have um, gossip columns in the newspaper. You know, people even call themselves, I'm the gossip column, I'm the gossip columnist. Well, what a horrible name. I'm, I'm, the, there's blogs on the internet, gossip blogs. And essentially, gossip is the participation, either actively or being okay with it, of words that did not need to be said about someone else. Words that were meant not to encourage or build up, but to discourage or to tear down. And so anytime that we come into a situation where things are being said, the Eighth Commandment forces us to ask this question. My words are powerful. Is what I'm saying meant to be a blessing to a person and their reputation? Or is what I'm saying, even if true, or what I'm allowing to be said, is it contributing to other people thinking worse of this person or of their reputation? And if so, the Eighth Commandment says it's wrong. That we shouldn't use our words, even if it's true, to tear someone down or to allow it to happen. Now, I work well with, with pictures and stories, and so I wanted to share with you a story that I, I hope helps bring the main central theme of the Eighth Commandment so that you can think about this and, and take it home. But about uh, two weeks ago or so, our, our neighbors went on vacation, and uh, so they asked if we would watch their goldfish. All right, now... Yeah. So the thing is that when it comes to goldfish, um, like our track record at our house is not real good. Um, I don't know how many have not survived, but I know that none have. We're zero for something. And, and we told this to our neighbors. Honestly, we did. We warned them, and yet at the very same time, um, they're like, no, this is a hardy fish, and we've had them for two years, and it's going to be fine. You don't even have to, don't even change the water. You know, everything, it'll be nothing. 
So, all right, <laughs> try to be nice. That first night, the water is like so cloudy that you can barely see the fish. And if you've ever had goldfish, especially in a non-aerated type of bowl, like the, the fish is up at the surface, kind of like, it looks like it's like gasping for air and it can't move because it's trying to find oxygen in this cloudy bowl. And I mean, at this point, it's like, you know, and part of me is like, we told you, on the other hand, you know, this is their goldfish. And so we're panicking and Carrie and I are looking on the internet what to do when people give bloomers the goldfish. Um, Google has something on that. Uh, you know, and we're looking for all these solutions as to what to do. And this is their goldfish. And thankfully, when they got back, it was alive. We do that naturally. For someone's goldfish, someone's kid jumps out into the street or is doing something they shouldn't. We, we protect, we, we guard their, their child, right, their goldfish. What God is telling you today is that you and I, it's our responsibility to treat their reputation like you would their goldfish. To treat a person's name, even when they're not around, especially when they're not around. Like you treat their goldfish when they're not around. And we have a responsibility. You know, you wouldn't go into a room full of people and just carelessly shoot off a loaded gun, and yet this loaded gun, we so carelessly at times shoot off our words. In fact, Here's what uh, Solomon writes, Proverbs 17. He says, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps talking a lot. No, if he keeps silent. There's wisdom in not talking and discerning if he holds his tongue. You see, here's the thing. When we're tempted to speak or when we are going to speak, Realize you can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. And what you say, because words are powerful, does have an impact. So let's stop first and think. Let's stop first and consider our neighbor's reputation. And are by, by what we're saying, are we protecting it? Are we being kind to them? Even if they haven't been kind to us, that doesn't matter. It's important for us to consider, are we building up or tearing down? Now, if you're anything like me, after writing this sermon, I mean, I'm feeling very convicted. You probably are, too, because we all have the pilot light lit, and we all have issues with, with our words. But at this moment, it's, it's where Jesus' holiness and his life intersects with our sinfulness, it's so interesting when you consider the Eighth Commandment. That's why I've brought it up a couple times. I mean, you think about people breaking the Eighth Commandment. You think about Jesus having people break the Eighth Commandment against him and the hurling of insults. And yet in all of that, what did we look at before? Jesus simply said, Father, forgive them. First um, Peter puts it this way. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in Jesus' mouth. 
And when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. That's because, not because they didn't have it coming. Sinful people throwing sinful things at Jesus. He, he didn't speak because he was heading to the cross to forgive people with fire in their mouth, like you and me. And what I also felt really connected here with the Eighth Commandment this week and Jesus is a passage that maybe you've heard before, maybe not, but John writes in 1 John 2, right now we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So, so here's the thing. Jesus saved us. He's given us all that we need, and we daily still disobey him, sometimes on purpose, sometimes by accident. And yet, instead of reminding the Father about all the things we do wrong, which he could, and rightfully, that would, it would be his right. Instead, he's in heaven in this picturesque way, daily defending us and saying, yeah, that guy with the pilot light lit, Ben, he's got issues, but he's my child. I died for him. His sins are forgiven. Jesus is constantly, with his words, defending us who don't deserve it. With his words, forgave us with, our li- with his life. Now, James was negative about the harm that your words can do. But I, I don't want you just to leave today thinking about all the things you shouldn't say because then you'd miss an opportunity. Because right now, it doesn't cost us a thing. You have the opportunity with your powerful words to make a difference that will last for 20 years or longer in someone's life. That you and I every day have an opportunity with our words to say things that will build up and can have an impact on the people around us. I, uh, a week ago, received a card in the mail from one of you, from one of our members, and it, it just, and this wasn't the first time that this has happened from a member, but it's just the most recent that said, I feel like a lot of times we take you for granted. I just want you to know that we don't. I received an email a couple days ago from a member that said, and in some ways I said this earlier too, that in a different service, that I don't know if it shows that she really knows me very much because I'm not a real perfect father, but she said, I admire or respect the way you father or you as a dad. You know that in my office I have a folder filled with cards and letters from people of this congregation that I go back to time and again when I'm having a really rough day. I have an email folder that I push over. It's called encouragement. Emails from all of you because the things that we say positively, whew, that's a blessing to me. It's a blessing when you hear those things from others. And so, Husbands, now, don't do this on the way home today because your wife will be like, ah, you did that because Pastor Ben told you to, but I mean, tell your wife how beautiful she is and that you love her. 
Use your words for that. And husbands, or I'm sorry, wives, tell your husband that you trust his godly Christian leadership and that you're thankful for what he does. And parents, when it's so easy to use our words to scold or to correct, let's make sure that we're using them just as much, if not more, to build up and to encourage when we see our kids doing things according to their faith. And kids, let's use our words to thank our parents instead of always making them feel as if you want a better one. And whether it's in church, in the atrium, or whether it's at work, we have been given an opportunity because words are powerful. Small rudder, huge impact. Not just to encourage, but to encourage on the way that leads to eternal life encourage and direct towards Jesus. A lot's been laid on us this week, huh? A lot's been laid on us over the last 10 weeks. And yet as we close this sermon and this series, um, as great as our failures may be, don't ever forget that you have a greater Savior, that you have a greater God who forgives us when we break the Ten Commandments and who empowers us to keep them better tomorrow than we did today. And to that end, I'd like to close this series and this message with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I suppose it's easy for us to look at your commands as a burden, and yet I pray that through our time in these, we've found them to be what they were meant to be, a blessing. Lord, you know more than anyone how each one of us have sinned against these commandments, and yet um, we thank you that you use your, your, your son, uses his words to defend us, to remind you as if you need reminding that we are your children and that we are forgiven. And now as uh, we end this series, give us your strength and your Holy Spirit to live as your child each day. In his name we pray. At this time...